And yes, hello, welcome to Pop-Up Submissions, the live weekly show where you, me, and one or two very special guests try to find the next big bestsellers and their authors. And let me just say to you, please... Happy Halloween! Absolutely, yes, very happy Halloween. I hope you get lots of tricks and certainly we've got two very exciting treats for you. And here's the first one. He's the dynamic CEO of one of Britain's most exciting publishers. Welcome back, Nicholas Cheatham. And with a nicely sophisticated taste in Hawaiian shirts, it's a very warm welcome, first time aloha, to Litopian Ed Simnett. And what have we got here? Oh, we've got comment from Michael. Thank you very much, Michael. Uh, we encourage you to make comments on us. We make comments on your manuscripts. So why shouldn't you comment on our show? Thank you all so much for the feedback. I really appreciate it. Short, sweet, to the point. That's exactly what we try to do. Let's have a look now and see, because it's a very exciting show, the last one of the month. Let's have a look at the monthly leaderboard so far. Wow, big upsets on the monthly leaderboard. Olivia Rana's YA story of identity loss and forgiveness has been winning right at the top all month, but now, sadly, it falls to the number four position, which last week's winner, Andrew Sires, Harry Lowe and the Hairy Staircase, well, I think that captured everybody's hearts, and that's reflected with a massive 75 points, and that's going to be hard to beat. But I've said that before, and I've had to eat my words. It's the final show of the month and it's all up for grabs and i just say again we have nicholas cheatham ceo of head of zeus on the show live right now if you've got questions to one of britain's leading publishers let's have them in the chat please And some exciting news about our next seminar. Here it is. Writing killer titles, very, very much anticipated by everybody. It's happening live this Saturday. It's replacing the normal uh, huddle, which is scheduled for 5 p.m. every Saturday. If you're a member of Latopia, you can book inside the colony in the next day or two. Let's have a look now at our very first submission of the day. And this is from Marvin. It's a thriller, as is appropriate for Halloween, and it's called, oh yes, The Zombie Deception. And there's a QR code there too. Let me remind you, if you have a phone that uh, can easily scan QR codes, you might have a bit of fun by scanning that and seeing where it takes you to. This is Marvin's blurb, very, very short. CID agents investigate a series of kidnappings and turn up a bold international counterfeiting operation. All right, let me tell you, Mr. Wolf, Vagabond, likes that, yes. Uh, let me tell you about uh, Marvin, again, very short description, actually. Army combat veteran, the author of many non-fiction works, produced screenwriter, recovering photojournalist, anxious to break into fiction writing. Very good, short, sweet, to the point. We're going to give you the very best start we can with a reading from Kay. The Zombie Deception by Marvin Jules Wolfe Read by Kay Prologue 
Elgin Air Force Base, Florida. The voice in Warrant Officer Will Spaulding's ears was clear, urgent and familiar. It belonged to Captain Greg Chastain, his flight instructor. Bluebell 4, drop down and take a good, close look at that area east of Turtle Creek, Chastain said. Watch for the high bluff to the southwest, it's got some very tall trees. Wilco, said Spaulding. He stood on the left rudder pedal while easing back on the cyclic, watching the stars move across his windscreen and feeling his OH-58D Kiowa Warrior slide into a sharp left bank. At 500 feet, peering through night vision goggles and mist rising from the forest floor, the terrain appeared in otherworldly shades of greenish-white. There was the creek on this cold winter night, warmer and thus brighter than the wooded land on its banks. Spaulding throttled back, bleeding airspeed as he descended, watching for the bluff that Chastain had warned about. After crawling along the watercourse for half a minute at ten knots, he decided that there was something odd about the water. Glancing around to make sure he was clear of obstacles, he descended to a slow hover. At a hundred feet, the water was bright, as he expected, but some small areas seemed to be even a little brighter. At twenty feet over the deep, sluggish creek, he realised that the brighter spots were men and that only their heads were above the water. Men floating down the river past the friendlies, whose flanks and rear Bluebell Scout Platoon was screening. Spaulding eased back on his collective, slowly ascending as he counted the bright spots below. He put his bird into a tight right-hand turn, watching his altimeter. Meanwhile, he flipped his radio transmit switch to FM, the tactical frequency. Oxbow Bluebell 4, over, he said into his lip microphone. The reply was a whisper, Bluebell, Oxbow 6, Alpha, go. Swimmers in the creek at your 6, I counted 11, might be more. Roger, thanks, out. Spaulding put his bird into a slow, tight, climbing right turn, away from the high bluff. At 300 feet and clear of the trees, he headed back up the creek, looking for where the swimmers came from. Less than half a mile upstream, his goggles showed dozens of hot spots scattered between the trees on either side of the watercourse. Bluebell, Bluebell 4, over, he said on the platoon channel. What do you have, Bluebell 4? Company-sized formation upstream half a mile in the trees. Request permission to attack, over. In wartime, Will's aircraft would have been equipped with either a pair of Hellfire missiles or a double cluster of 2.75-inch unguided rockets. But this was a training exercise, and he had two 50 caliber machine guns loaded with blanks. You want to clean those guns before you go to sleep tonight, Bluebell 4? Roger, said Will, if that's what it takes. One pass. Stay above 500 feet indicated. Roger, Wilco, out said Will. At 350 feet above the trees, he levelled out. Below him was the target area. He thumbed off the safety, tilted his nose down until the targets appeared on his screen, pulled the throttle to nearly maximum and opened fire. The white dots became an ant's nest of panic, men running every which way. That was fun, he said aloud. Radios off. Will pointed the coyote's nose skyward, banked to eastward heading. Flipping his night vision goggles up and out of the way at 1,000 feet, the night sky was revealed in all its glory. 
a vast carpet of glowing lights that always filled Will with awe. Far to the northwest, low in the horizon, a new moon was setting. He smiled as he took in its dim, ghostly portion. It was moments like this, he thought, that confirmed his decision to put his career in law enforcement behind him and become an army aviator. He had made the right decision, he told himself. Back home in Barstow, he'd been a police detective, a prince of that small California city's streets, rewarded with respect and sometimes admiration by the honest citizens. But he was also the only son of the chief of police, forever in his father's ambit, always under the influence of his name and family. Here in the sky, he was on his own. Okay, so let's see what the genie are making of that. Um, I think kind of divided to begin with about the tacky stuff. Quite a few people said they didn't really like all that tacky stuff. Uh, one or two people said it was a bit distancing. Annie did like it. She thought it was the right description, the right balance um, uh, between description and tacky bits. Um, Eva says, I guess all this in the movie would take up less than 30 seconds. Jeremy, thank you very much from YouTube. Says a bit too much telling. I wonder. Um, Kate says, definitely feeling a boy's own adventure to this. Jan says, don't mind the techie bits. Feels authentic to me. It does feel authentic, actually. I agree with that. And Andy says, feels very World War Z. Yeah, you expect that, don't you, really? Though the comparison's probably obvious. Suspect there's a market for it. Um, now, on the writer actually has made a comment too let me just draw your attention to that and call at the bottom of the page at the moment technical stuff distanced me from the story and it's always really interesting to hear what the narrators think because they they see it in a different way and get inside it and from the character uh, distance from the character i like that we got into some action almost immediately though and very unusually um first time on pop-up submissions i'm going to say ed what did you think Right. Um, so I I was struggling a bit with the title, to be honest, because I sort of I was expecting more zombie. Yeah. Uh, the zombie deception sounded. It's a little. Uh, it sounds a bit sort of generic, to be honest. Almost. Uh, the blurb was too short to engage with. It was. Yeah. Sort of, it, it it was sort of the agent. That's the the five second sort of at a bar. You've just met an agent or or Nicholas or something. You know, hey, yeah. my book is. It's not. It didn't give me any anything to engage with. Um, on the craft side, I mean, I think it does a really really good job of sort of taking you into the. Um, into the scene, mm. I was. I think I echo one of the comments about there's a little bit of telling, and we weren't quite in the head of the protagonist enough. We were see, things were seeming, things were thinking. He was noticing. You don't. If you're in truly in the head of the protagonist, it would be nice. You just don't need that. You kind of yeah. you're in the head. And from a bang point of view, actually, I. You know, I, I think I'm. I'm. I don't want to be sort of in the middle, but I, I was. I'm going to give that a. I, me vote now. I mean, I'm giving the giving that a, a sixty, um, the three stars. Okay. I think it could. This could be something there. Um, it just. It sort of. It wasn't. It, it didn't. It didn't wow me. But Fair I enough. think that definitely. It's a yeah. real. Yeah. There's. There's something there, and it's. I mean, I, 
I can kind of tell the author really knows his stuff, which he certainly does. For that. He shot a yeah. zombie or two, hasn't he? You can tell in his, in his mm -hmm. time. Yeah, Marvin exactly, has. Yeah. Thank you very much. Your votes are coming in, which means the uh, technical aspect is working really well. Becky, interesting, just on YouTube, Becky Rush, who was last month's winner, uh, point that out. She says she needed more emotional in involvement there, more emotional engagement. Thank you very much for that, Ed. You are no longer a pop-up virgin. What did you think, Nick? Um, maybe it's just Halloween, but I was slightly wrong-footed um, by the uh, title and author um, yes. Uh, yes, uh, yes, yes. I mean, Mr. wonderful, Wolf. wonderful author name. Um, you could go a long way with a name like that. Um, and a great author bio as well. Um, uh, you know, you, when you actually have um, a military um, style book or anything to do with any form of tradecraft, you want to know that you're getting the genuine article, not someone who's just sitting there making it up. So, you know, real world experience is great in this area. Um, uh, I don't think that the, I agree with everyone, the, the, the pitch wasn't enough. Um, I guess it very roughly described where the book would be going, but you know, there's not enough information there. Um, I, you know, we've always spoken on this show about, you know, we're slightly sceptical about prologues and the need for prologues. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> that, 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 that's the thing, you know, let's jump right into the middle of things, um, which, fair enough, I mean, this prologue more or less does. I love the technical side of things. Um, mm. If I'm reading one of these types of books, I want it full of technical detail. Yeah. Um, so I would actually say I could do with even more here. Uh, yeah. You know, it's technical details, it's the language, you know, that spies use or the military use or that the police use. All of these things, you know, when you read it, you know, you might not understand it, but it sounds good. And, you know, I mean, you know, you can take it to a ridiculous level like they do in Line of Duty, you know, where, you know, practically nobody understands anything saying, exactly. but it exactly. sound good. Yes. <laughs> um, so that can be a lot of fun and you get that right, you know, in the end of the book, you know, you feel you know what it is, you know, to basically to um, pilot a nuclear submarine across the Atlantic or something. Um, yeah. you know, take one of the great techno thrillers that, that, that's out there. So that was that that worked for me. And, and I would say, you know, um, pedal to the metal on that side of things. You know, you, you if you're doing technical, you really do technical. So from this, you know, I, I liked it. It did, you know, there was a poetic, you know, bit to it as well. So, you know, um, I, I thought that was quite interesting. I wasn't so sure about having it as a training exercise. You know, I mm. would have kept that back. I would have made it much more real and much more immediate. If you need at the end, you know, to have revealed that it's a technical, um, a, a training exercise, so be it. But, yeah. you know, training exercises, virtual reality, they're yeah. not things I really want to hear in my books. I want it to feel really real and, and, and really immediate. <laughs> Um, and I don't think we needed the introspection at the end. I think that that, that was too much of an info dump. Um, uh, we didn't know, actually get invested in, in the protagonist, though, did we? I mean, and Becky on YouTube is, is right in that. I didn't feel emotionally interested in the protagonist. Did you? Or do you, do you, do you think it even matters? Um, for, for, at this point in the book, I wouldn't expect to be feeling emotionally right. invested. Um, right. uh, you know, I would let, yeah. you know, I, I would let events basically guide me. You know, yes. I, I don't need to be told. And, and you know, in, in terms of showing and not telling, the, the biggest telling crime here is that last paragraph. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Let's just check out the genius room, then we'll see what the overall score is for you, Marvin. And the most important comment in the genius room is from Vagabond Heart, who says, Nick looks like a sexy monk. <laughs> and that's, that's you, Nick. <laughs> that, that is my aesthetic. I've been working on it for, you know, for all weekend, really. Yeah. 
Good. Excellent. Well, I, hopefully, hopefully, Marvin, you found that useful feedback. Now then, let's uh, let's look at the the all important number. Fingers crossed. You got a fifty-two. It's above halfway. Nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, let's just run down the numbers quickly. Uh, Genesium liked your craft. Almost everybody gave you exactly the same for craft, which I think is very encouraging. Um, nobody much liked the title. All the Genesium went. I didn't mind that too much, but I think I think you can. You've got to make that work a bit harder. Oop, fifty-three. Real-time scores, remember, they can go down as well, folks, and that surprises a lot of people, but it just simply means one or two people in the genius room are a bit late voting, and they voted a bit low, and then it averages out nicely. Good. Off to an extremely good start. Let's see what's next. And submission number two. And then I think we'll have a chat with, with our wonderful publisher, Nick, from Head of Zeus. This is The Day You Die. The Day You Die. It's a paranormal thriller, and it's from Clive, Clive Edwards. And this is Clive's blur. Former soldier Will Gray has a unique ability. But to him, it's not a gift, but a curse. When he looks in anyone's eyes, he knows the day they will die. And how? And it's driving him to distraction. He's down and out, hitting the bottle, trying to ignore the burden of responsibility he feels. But then he sees the imminent death of a young girl. Should he save her? And when MI5 finds out about his skills and wants to use him to track down suicide bombers, where will he lead? We'll tell you about Clive. I'm a former investigative journalist, says Clive, and TV producer, pursuing the long-held dream of every hack, don't say that, uh, to write a novel. Well, actually, yes, a lot of journalists do. They have it in their bottom drawer, don't they? Um, I've done an MA in creative writing and completed the magnum opus, an historical epic that's now sitting safely, locked away in a drawer, awaiting a complete rewrite. All right, another few years. Uh, then I decided instead to write a commercial thriller. This is it! All right, let's give it as a, a strong a commercial launch as we possibly can for the reading by Johnny. The Day You Die, written by Clive Edwards, read by John. Chapter One. He looked into her eyes and he knew that she was going to die in the next few minutes. She was only four or five, a dark-haired, inquisitive little girl with a frank stare. She took in his stained clothes and his glassy eyes and no doubt some part of her young mind registered the alcohol fumes coming off him, even if she didn't know what they were. Ye smell, she announced triumphantly. Will Gray knew she was right. In fact, he stank. He had been on a prolonged drinking binge and it had been a good while since he'd washed properly or changed his shirt, let alone his trousers. It all helped to make sure that people kept their distance, but not this girl. She had not learnt to stay away from human rubbish. You're a tramp, she said with a little smile. You look like a tramp. Will looked past her, searching for her parents. Where were they? There must be someone supposed to be looking after her. He spotted two women talking twenty yards away. They looked like school-run mothers. You don't look very happy, the girl said, 
waving to get his attention back. How can I make you happy? She added with innocent optimism. Will was caught off guard for just a second, but a second was all it took. His gaze flickered past her fringe and he found the palest cornflower blue eyes. Suddenly there it was, clear as crystal. The school bus approaching, her mother distracted again, a friend waving on the other side of the road, the young girl stepping towards her, a squeal of brakes, but too, too late. It was going to be that brutal, that unforgiving. A short, sharp blow and the end of this young life in just four minutes' time. Will shook his head, trying to clear away the vision, trying to pretend it hadn't happened. Your mother wants you, he said to her, gesturing at the two women who remained engrossed in their preschool chat. The girl was still there, staring curiously at him, and all he could see was her mangled body, legs twisted at unnatural angles, head bent back, eyes sightless, lying in the road. Piss off, he said, the appalling image ricocheting around his brain. The girl threw her hands up to her face, uttered a little squeal, a mix of horror and pleasure, and ran back to tug at her mother's arm. Mummy, that man said a naughty word, she announced, loud enough for her mother and several other women passing with their children to hear. The forgetful mother gave him a look of piercing disgust, grabbed her daughter's hand and set off up the road. He heard the words, disgusting drunk, hanging in the air, and several of the other mothers shepherding their children to school flicked a dismissive glance at him. Will slumped further into the seat. In his mind's eye, he could still see the school bus plowing into her. The wet thud of metal on flesh, the screams, the blood seeping all over the road and into the gutter. His body felt taut like an electric convulsion had seized him. He tried to steady his breathing. He tried to distance himself. There was nothing he could do. In four minutes, it would happen. Less now, in fact. He realised that at least a minute must have passed as he sat there trying to master his jagged breaths and the adrenaline that was coursing through him. This was the worst one yet. The last year since it started had been hell on earth. But this vision turned his heart and twisted his guts. And then he realised what had been lurking in the back of his mind. The school bus stop must be just around the corner, out of sight. The parents, the children, that child must be lined up there, waiting for the bus and waiting for death. And though he couldn't see it, he would surely hear the squeal of the brakes applied hopelessly late and the piercing scream the mother would give, wrenched from her very soul as she gazed at her crushed child. All right, so let's see what the genie is saying. Um, and yeah, I, I, one or two people said something I, I was kind of dimly wondering too, actually. Um, and that is, have I heard this before? This idea somewhere? Um, and... Yeah, and he says, good blurb, sounds familiar. Resubmission was thinking the same. Isn't there a Stephen King book with a similar plot? I don't know. Is there? Can, can anyone tell us that, please? Um, and Kate comes up with a one word response to that with Dead Zone. I don't know what that is. Is that a Stephen King book or what? Um, but I think that's something I would want to investigate a bit. Um, Johnny, our narrator, enjoyed reading this, thought it was a good gripping opening and generally really positive <coughs> reactions, actually. Uh, the genie, good engaging writing, says Hannah. Um, great opening, says Annie. There is a story here via characters, says Eva. Yeah, generally very positive reactions there. What did you think, Nick? Um, I'm not usually in disagreement with the genius room, um, uh, but this, this didn't really didn't really grab me. Um, maybe 
maybe it's my maybe today is really bringing out all my prejudices i was complaining about virtual realities and training runs in the previous one the other thing that i, I have a um a, a kind of a, aversion to uh, is car crashes um uh, oh, yeah. things to advance plots i mean it's just sort of almost i know awful car crashes do happen and you know it is you know a, you know a, a, a terrible curse of modern life but somehow you know, I, I always feel that it's uh, the, the easy way out if you're writing uh, if, if, if you're if you're writing a book. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I felt there was that, that was a little bit too obvious. Um, I was intrigued by one thing which I didn't get from the blurb, um, and that was the fact that these visions of people's death dates um, had only started a year ago. Um, and I think that to find out what had happened there and why that might have happened that would keep me reading um, yeah. but i don't think that the rest of it would have done yeah yeah i didn't engage as strongly as i was hoping to actually especially for sort of such a high concept <laughs> idea now Nick, i just need to um um work uh, on the text slightly with you um i think you voted on number three by accident yeah. so what i'm going to do oh, no, i've zeroed that so everything is absolutely above board here guys uh so can, right. let me just give me your numbers and i'll enter them directly into the spreadsheet here so for the title you were you were, you were going to give a what i would give a three for the title that's 60. not a bad title okay. that's what Very it says good. in nice bit of alliteration yeah blurb um uh, i think the blurb is possibly two <laughs> two okay uh craft um, craft, I would give a, a three. Three, and overall bang, which of course the commercial potential, all important. Yeah, um, is probably a two and a two. I'm going to put two. two. Yeah, okay, got it. Three. That's fantastic. Okay, so you saw their scores going there real time, guys. No collusion, <laughs> as uh, as they used to say in the states. Um, what did you think of that, then, Ed? Uh, well, I <clears throat> so. I always struggle with these titles, which uh, you know sound like James Bond movies, um, and it's not because there's anything wrong with it. I just don't know that they somehow they, it's just I literally couldn't remember what the title was until yeah. it was sort of written down again. So the day, you're, okay, you know, I knew Die was in there somewhere. So uh, to me, there's, there needs to be one thing in the title which is you know which is distinctive and people will remember. Uh, it was easy to remember. Uh, the blurb I thought was good. Um, it, there seemed to be two threads in the blurb which is really awkward there's the girl thread and then mm. there's the mi5 thread and not mi whatever thread so i thought maybe yeah i didn't know if we needed both of those in the blurb um i really liked it actually i was it's not really my thing but i actually really i i, I did kind of engage with it um and um the uh you know in terms of commercial potential i thought it was I, 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 there was some there was some real tension there, so I, I, I thought that I felt like okay. the author had you know, did grab me and could, yeah. could carry on. So, Fair yeah. enough, that's great. Thank you very much. Let's look at the overall numbers on that because there's a bit of a divide going on here. If I'm right, then yeah, there is actually. You can see um, Gina Stream really likes the title. Actually, Ed really doesn't like it. I'm not wild about it, but it's right. Um, Gina Stream really likes the blurb. Genius Room really likes the craft and I think it's got lots of commercial potential. So that's very interesting. Doesn't often happen, but it's happened today. Clive, you've got um, you've got interesting uh, spread of reactions there. Make of it what you will. <laughs> I don't know what you will, actually. 
But the thing is, and I don't know, I don't know if anyone's answered this yet in the uh, in the in the genius room. It'd be very useful actually um, to know if that high concept idea has been used. I've got a feeling it has. That would make a difference to me. It would make a difference. Anyway, while um, I've set you that task to um, uh, to look at, excuse me, I've got a new vision mixer here. I've uh, got all my keys labelled, I think. Hopefully, this will bring... Yes, it's, it's Nick. Nick, how, how are you? How's, how's everything going in the, in the wonderful world that we, we adore so much of uh, uh, book publishing? Um, well, I mean, like everyone else, we're, we're struggling with shortages at the moment. Oh, really? Um, uh, there's shortages of lorries, lorry drivers more often, mm. the shortages of paper pulp, um, uh, and there's a shortage of space at the, at the printers. Oh, As everybody is printing early to try and avoid um, uh, being caught out by the shortages and coming yes. up to the busiest time of the year, um, yes. which is the months before Christmas. Um, uh, everything's really? piled high. So the yeah. printers are working at double the capacity that yeah. they were working at last year. Um, yeah. All the warehouses are completely over, you know, overflowing. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting times logistically. Um, mm. So it's a bit of a headache, really. The whole distribution chain is a bit of a headache, isn't it? And uh, publishing has not escaped from it. That's, uh, that's rather sad. Um, let's have a look at your website. What's, uh, what's new there? Uh, you've got a, an author who's getting a huge amount of uh, coverage today. Tell us about her. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, Nadine Dorries has been um, a, a head of use author um, right from our very earliest days. Yeah. Um, and she's now the uh, the Minister for Culture, Sport, um, Digital, um, whatever. Um, That's pretty cool, but, actually. I mean, it, it is. It, it's, it's absolutely it's absolutely brilliant. It's the job that she she's always wanted. Um, but, you know, I really want to talk to her, talk about her, you know, I think as, um, as, as a writer um, mm. uh, with a capital W um, uh, in that she's someone who has to write. It's a need. It's what she does as therapy, what she does to decompress. And she writes to tell stories. And huh. storytelling is, I think, uh, the unfairly neglected, you know, um, component in our appreciation of yeah. what makes a good book. Totally. I mean, we're far yeah. too easily um, uh, distracted by pleasing arrangements of words and um, reflections yeah. on contemporary relevance. Um, yeah. Perhaps the beautiful face and the beautiful sharp mind of um, literature, whereas storytelling is literature's beating heart. Absolutely. That's the alchemy yeah. that allows us to yeah. escape reality for other worlds. And Nadine's a natural-born storyteller. Nicely put. Nicely put. Yes. So this is not her first book, actually, is it? I mean, she is, she's written no, how, so, many, how I mean, many more for you? Um, uh, she's done four in this series. Um, uh, we have a standalone. We've got three in another series. And at the moment, she is writing um, a six-book um, historical uh, epic. Oh wow. Um, wow! Which will be coming um, at some point, uh, some point next year. Uh, wow. that, that we hope. So I'm, I'm I, looking I for. Sorry, I'm just looking for comparisons in terms of um, you know major politicians who also write fiction. The only one I can think of in the UK would be Jeffrey Archer. And that's going back some some years. I can't think of a single one in the states. Maybe our American viewers know, but um, you know Clinton. a senior. Uh, sorry, I who, who Hillary was Clinton just launched something. Hillary Clinton just yeah. just published something. She just published some fiction. How did I? How did I? Yeah, so did Bill. Yeah, but both with both with uh, co-authors. But they, you know, Hillary oh, Clinton okay. has got very well reviewed in the last, you know, yeah. literally three days or something. Yeah. 
yeah. I, I think that the, the big difference is, I mean, really, I mean, that both, um, I mean, co-authored is one thing. It's a bit uh, of yeah. branding. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. That's a polite way of putting it, isn't it, actually? Yeah. I mean, mm. Nadine and Jeffrey Archer, you know, are natural born storytellers. And actually, mm. you know, um, our editor at Head of the Series, Rosie de Corsi, um, who is Nadine's editor, was also um, Jeffrey Archer's editor. Um, uh, and yeah, Maeve Binchy and um, oh, wow. Colin McCullough and a whole stream of, you know, some of the world's, you know, sort of wow. biggest sort of storytellers. Wow. Uh, and she rates Nadine, you know, as, yeah. you know, a talent, you know, in the same, you know, sphere as, uh, as, as, as those, those names. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting. I mean, just the idea of storytelling and, you know, the, you know, the, the need to write. It's the most important component, I think, of being a writer, being a successful writer. Your yeah. drive will drive you to actually finish that novel you had the idea. It will drive you through rece- you know, rejection after rejection. Hmm. It will drive you through revision after revision. Um, mm. In the end, it may just drive you to perfection. And that's yes. why I think, you know, that need to get there and just to write um, mm. it is to be cherished. Yes, Anne Widdicombe has written some. Edwina Curry, of course, in the UK. I mean, yeah, I, the, the walls are absolutely exploding with, with politicians writing books, actually. They all I tend to be conservatives. Probably, well, <laughs> I don't well, know I why. I think it would be hard-pressed, actually, to find any, author, any politicians who haven't written a book. That's right, book. yeah, well, but, you know, the ma- the major... They do, they do. I mean, but the thing is, the average politician's book sells, what, 1,000 copies, something like that? And, you know, what we're talking about here with uh, Nadine is, is, is like hundreds but, of thousands, isn't, isn't that right? We're talking millions. Millions, millions, yeah. 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 Um, is, there, is, it, is it an issue at all? Or, you know, do you think it, it sort of adds to sales or detracts from sales? So you actually do have somebody who's got very firm political views, which some people will support and others won't? Um, well, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting one. I mean, if you read, you know, the, um, uh, you know, the, there are people who want to make a political point um, when yeah. talking about her books, yeah. Um, uh, and there are people, you know, who are, you know, who who are not, you know, actually involved politically. And there are people out there, although Twitter and and social media may, might actually make us think, you know, that uh, yeah. everybody just cares about the politics. There yeah. are a lot of just sort of general readers, and you know, Nadine. Yeah. Was one of the early stars of the of the whole ebook boom, um, you know, when people were discovering, you know, books mm. um, that they just liked to read through word of mouth, not mediated yeah. via bookstores. Um, no. And they discovered Nadine Dorries first and foremost. Now you, you sometimes hide your light under a bit of a bushel, but actually you did pioneer the whole idea of sort of dynamic pricing with ebooks, didn't you? Tell us about that briefly, because I think it's quite important. This is at a time when publishers were openly saying ebooks are fantastic. We don't need to keep any stock, and we can sell them for the same price as a hardback. Yeah. Well, I mean, when we started Head of Views, it was a very um, it was a tough time for publishing, you know, um, book mm. sales had fallen um, quite considerably over the last sort of previous decade. Um, and really, you know, the big question was, why on earth where was anyone starting a new publishing company? Why weren't they yeah. going to the hills and looking um, for, for a different industry? But we were really excited about the, the arrival of ebooks because we realized that now we suddenly had effectively an infinite shelf space um, and uh, uh, an infinitesimal cost of supplying that yeah. um, compared to what it used to be like. and so. That actually enabled us um, to actually price our books um, for new authors because we're a new publishing company. No one knew any of these people, really. Mm. Um, and use price as a way of getting the books in front of people. 
And yes, I mean, you could say, you know, oh, you know, it, it's no good, you know, um, you know, devaluing the, you know, the, um, the, the value of a book by, by making a one pound ebook. But the point is that, you know, that we were selling, you know, sort of half a million of these things. Yeah, yeah really. Um, yeah. You know, which um, is an awful lot of money. Oh, and they, you know, was, they were sold to people who would not buy the hardback, that's for sure. No, so it wasn't, you know, wasn't cannibalising sales. It's not cannibalising sales. We were building mm. audiences, if, if, yeah. if anything. Um, yeah. And, you know, we, it was a route to market. Um, oh. And, you know, we were able to take advantage of that. And now everybody does it. But, you know, back in the day, you know, yeah. everybody was very, very cautious about it. Yeah, you were heretical and rebels and people prophesied flog frogs falling from the sky. And look, look where you are now, publishing the UK Culture Minister. Isn't that cool? We've got one more submission. No, it's got submission number three. We're going to come back and, and speak to Nick in a moment. Your questions, please, to one of Britain's most progressive publishers. Bung them in on YouTube or in the chat room right now. Here we are, submission number three. Pathway to Penance. Crime slash psychological thriller and it's from Stuart Andre Warner this is Stuart's blurb Andre Warner contract killer tries through drink drugs and sex to forget his accidental killing of an Italian girl listlessly researching a contract in Tangier he falls in with attractive widow Claire Power and her teenage daughter Lisa this draws him into the orbit of mysterious Dutchman Rick de Bruyne First, Claire, then Lisa, disappear. Warner suspects De Bruyne of involvement and gets possessive. The only way he knows. Too late, alas, to save Lisa from a fate that could scar her forever. I'll tell you about Stuart. British-born, globetrotter, lived in France, Spain, Netherlands, New Zealand and Canada. While retaining links with the UK, married six scattered children... <laughs> Sounds very wayward, actually, Stuart. <laughs> I would ask about that. Uh, reluctant businessman, business owner, aspiring bestseller author, aren't we all? Sometime publisher, brackets failed. Oh, come on. You're a bit down on yourself. Uh, several novels, crime and political thrillers, published in UK and Canada. Two books bought by WH Smith, resulting in sales of about 7,000 copies each. Plus 2,000 each on Amazon, albeit with little promotional input. Right, okay. Well, I'm intrigued by this, and I'm going to be even more intrigued by this reading we're going to have from Robert. Pathway to Penance by Stuart, read by Robert. Prologue. Girl of my nightmares. Though she only visits me in the night, the nightmares in which she plays the starring role are not part of my sleep. If they were, I could dismiss them as figments of an over-revved imagination. But I view these nightmares through open eyes, in a state of wide awakefulness. It makes no difference whether I go to bed alone or with company, whether the room is lighted or in darkness, whether I am at home or in some faraway place. An irresistible impulse pins me to the mattress, draws my vision towards the ceiling to confront over and over the lifelike holograms that scroll across the plaster expanse, rich in colour and so tangible I imagine I can smell them, taste them, even reach out and touch them. The scenes enacted never vary. They begin with the girl. Italian, a glorious fifteen, maybe sixteen years old, hair falling to her waist in a golden cape, on the threshold of serious beauty. Across the paved piazza she runs, her gait slightly knock-kneed, 
her shadow bounding ahead, sharp etched in the Sicilian sunlight, into the arms of Luigi Pavan, her father, the man I have been hired to kill. At this point in my nightmare, racked with guilt, dreading the scene that follows, I try to deny the image, but they won't be denied. They continue with their cruel inevitability towards the final act, my own private tragedy on my own personal stage. Papa! Papa! the girl cries, unleashing a spate of Italian, clearly questions unintelligible to me, but faithfully lodged forever in my subconscious. Chi è questo uomo? Chio che egle vuole? And her papa hugs her, keeping her back turned towards me as he murmurs in her ear, regarding me without blinking. The gun is already in my fist, a Beretta storm, mated to a sound suppressor, slide racked, safety off, awaiting only the command from my curled forefinger. The timing is impeccable, or it would be impeccable were it not for the presence of the girl. The girl is not part of the plan, nor is backing out. I am in too deep, my intent revealed, as it always is at the point of execution. The next step must be forward. The piazza is deserted. From a nearby tangle of Bougainvillea, the lazy drone of a bee is pursuing its life's work. The windows of the encircling buildings are blind, shuttered against the furnace of the afternoon sun. Only the liquid outpourings of Pavarotti, trickling through a gap in the shutters on the top floor of Pavan's Taverna, testify to the presence of other humanity. Yet he is not cowed. This big, sandy-haired Italian who hails from Torino, a man with taste for Ferraris and a mistress for every day of the week, funded by trade, heroin, crack and worse. A man whom no laws have been able to touch, not a man to admire or respect. Expect, for perhaps for his guts in facing up to me as his life is about to be ended. At this point, in my spectral vision as it was in the reality, it becomes apparent to me why he holds my gaze without flinching. Not after all in defiance, not in some last great show of bravado, but to distract, to gain time. As his left hand caresses his daughter, the other is out of sight, up to no good. I jump up, kicking the plastic chair clear, while simultaneously extending the Beretta two-handedly to sight on his head. Let the girl go, Pavan, I yell. I don't speak Italian, but his English is good enough in to get my drift. His response is an incoherent snarl, as the startled girl squirms around in his arms to face me, his weapon comes into the open, a snub-barrel revolver with a shrouded hammer. I stay cool, confident in my ability to take him out without harming his daughter, even as her presence, shielding all but his head, makes me hesitate, almost fatally. In the microsecond that separates intent from implementation, he pumps two fast shots at me, the first parting my hair, the second drilling into my shoulder, sending me stumbling. Okay, and Annie has just said not a fan of this, oh, this others might like it. Um, Terry is saying, I would lose that first sentence, says Terry. Vagabond, too emphatically dramatic for me. Nice juxtaposition of family love and the threat facing them, says Martin. 
And Lex has made an interesting comment there. He says, this is a diamond in the rough. Some great images, ideas, emotions wrapped in too much text. I'm trying too hard. Take a sledge to this. Find David in the marble block. What a lovely image that is. Um, Johnny says, competent writing, though, not knocking me sideways. It's great, isn't it? It's great. Uh, good stuff from there, says Vagabond. Uh, I, think, I think, you might have missed the, I think you might have missed the other point of that comment, by the way. Oh, really? Oh, OK, fine. <laughs> Trying to imitate, the, imitate what we just read. So. All right, all right, yeah, probably actually, but that just went straight over my head. Uh, Glenn says very wordy, and and that word, that expression wordy is, is is echoed by Hannah. I think it's a bit wordy too, actually. Setting strong, says Martin. Yeah, all right, Ed. Um, right. What did you think? Um, so I. I actually like the title. I mean, again, to, to Nick's point last time, I mean, there's some alliteration in this title. Um, I did. I think I just voted. Yeah, yeah. I like the title, and I think I could remember this one. Um, the blurb had too many people in it, and I was like, "Whoa, hang on, what's going on here?" It just the yeah. blurb felt like a mini synopsis, not a blurb. Yeah. Um, I thought it was uh, the, the, the David comments fantastic. I mean, I think it's a great. That's so, such a beautiful way to put it. But it really, I thought this was kind of you know, overwritten. I don't normally react to that so much, but somehow there was just something about this. And there were it is overwritten, also, isn't it? So this, is, this is then that, mm. and uh, I mean, it yeah. almost actually reminded me of the start of A Tale of Two Cities. It was this and it was that. It was this, it was that. And I'm yeah. not sure how good that is. Um, but I think it cleaned up, we could have something, because it's actually pretty cool. Um, although I do mm. think an assassin in Italy ought to be able to speak Italian, but that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I guess. <laughs> I, I suppose. I being an assassin. Yeah. Well, do you need yeah, to do so your job? I don't know. It's one of those imponderables, really. What did you think, Nick? Um, I think that it was a perfectly um, workaday title. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, fine. Um, penance, penance. Is that getting mm. a bit ecclesiastical? I don't it is know. A bit, um, uh, which I tend to tend to shy away from in a title, to tell the truth. Um, as has been identified, the blurb doesn't work. Um, it's neither a teaser nor a synopsis. Um, it tries to do a bit of both, I think, yeah. um, and, and, and fails. Um, as a rule of thumb, um, I try not to mention more than one name to at maximum in any blurb um, mm. of any synopsis um, that one is writing. Describe mm. secondary characters by their relationship to the first. Um, it's much easier for people to get their heads around. Very good advice. Um, and on to the text. Um, yeah, I mean, this is the show that keeps on giving me. It's giving me, you know, um, training missions, car crashes, and now my other pet hate <laughs> is beginning things with a dream, um, ah. uh, which is just really like uh, virtual reality. Um, and like all people who tell you your dreams, um, uh, basically, this is all done in far too much detail. Yeah. Um, uh, it's just it, it, it is as everyone's identified um, really over, over overwritten um, and, yeah. and, and it's too slow and it, I kind of feel also that it's bringing us right into the to the meat of the novel too quickly you know the, the blurb yeah. was basically about you know the, the, this failed mission and now we're getting it straight up front I can see reasons for doing that but it, it makes me feel that I'm not in the hands of a really interesting storyteller here um, and, you know, I also wonder, actually, you know, 
how this guy managed to be a good assassin. Um, uh, you know, if he has, you know, let someone shoot him twice using a revolver, which isn't the fastest of things, whilst having well, his own weapon. He doesn't say anyway he's a good assassin. He's just an assassin. Exactly. I mean, there's got to be a range of assassins. Some of them are pretty good, some of them not. I suppose. Depends on the Yellow Pages listing, really. I mean, we put AAA assassin. And that, well, I, anyway, I'm, I'm just having a little fantasy here. Um, are we having a little bit of a voting issue here, Nick? Um, well, I think I already voted, didn't I, using um, uh, voting three. Um, uh, so I thought, right, yeah. We, yeah, OK, so give me the, the numbers so again, please. you'll need to please. take my manual Yeah, scores. I will. The stars, please, yeah. And then um, we'll go uh, in. So I will do... Um, uh, I'll take a star away from the ecclesiastical thing on the, on, on the title, so that's 40, two stars. Um, two stars, blurb, OK. Uh, two stars yeah. again. The blurb, craft, two again, two stars. Yeah. And the bang, two stars, I'm afraid. Two, twos across the board. There we go. Let's just see if that goes in. And it hasn't gone in yet, but it will any moment, I think. That's sub three, isn't it? Yes, this is sub three. And it hasn't, it hasn't taken for some strange reason. But we will make sure it does during the, um, the next reading. I find that odd. Yeah, okay. Um, thank you very much. Now, what we're going to do is go straight on to the next submission while we just sort that out. Um, there you yeah. go. It's, it's, in. Uh, it's gone. Phew. <sighs> thank heavens. A sigh of relief. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. Let's look at the numbers on that. Got a solid 47, Stuart. Um, yeah, so title people kind of like the title actually i tell you what we are at submission number three so at this point we can actually look at the scorecard and learn some interesting stuff yeah actually still and as i suspected um you are currently the winner for the title isn't that interesting other than that Clive's The Day You Die is <clears throat> leading with 61 and people like your blurb and people like your craft and people like your bang. Probably we should now have a look at the very next submission, submission number four. It's Rogue Female by Lex Lander. Got quite a few Lexes around. <laughs> I don't know if there are sort of... <sighs> variants on a Lex or if they're in the individual discrete Lexes, I don't know. Uh, it's a crime thriller and this is Lex's blurb. Brigitte Jeannot, Franco-American ex-cop based in Nice, is visited by half-sister Charlotte and her boyfriend Steve, son of a rich industrialist. Hours after arrival, the couple are abducted. A ransom demand is received but Brigitte, using all her cop skills while flouting most of the rules, resolved to rescue the kidnappees by confronting the gang, led by Russian Helena Bugova, a woman without scruple. Only Brigitte's former cop partner, Yves Duverney, can save her. I'm, uh, I'm uh, talking about Nick's <coughs> rule of one. How many words, how many names have we got in there? Oh my goodness. Uh, former cop partner. Five, wow. Yves Duverney. <laughs> if only he knew where to look. All right, let me tell you about this particular Lex. I'm a property realtor. Uh, born in the UK, based in Montreal. And the job occupies most of my time. I'm bilingual, English-French, and was educated in France before doing a three-year stint at Exeter University. My publishing record is patchy, on account of I don't stick at it for long. 
<laughs> getting an awful lot of uh, self-introspection in the bios today aren't we actually uh, <laughs> my uh, my genres are crime and psychological thrillers with this latest effort I aim to pitch it at UK agencies though I'm not optimistic <laughs> oh, oh Lex come on oh dear I'm not optimistic because I don't write formulaic stuff and that seems to be what's wanted these days oh <laughs> blimey well, that sounds almost like a direct accusation against our, our special guest. So I'm going to pick that up with uh, Nick in a minute. Is that all the people want formulaic stuff? We'll ask him in a minute after this submission, which is going to be uh, given more than justice by Martin. Rogue Female by Lex Lander. Read by Martin. Chapter One. Justifiable Homicide. He was there in the dark, listening, waiting for the right moment to strike. The advantages were all on his side. His vision would already be adapting to the gloom, his gun primed to fire, his hands and his morals unshackled by the rules and conventions that would prevent her from shooting first. Away from the target range, she had never fired her SIG automatic, seldom even drawn it with intent. Not that she wasn't proficient with it, Better than proficient, even. She was the top woman marksman in the Nice division. To make the grade as an undercover cop, you had to be above average, and doubly so if you were female. The weapon felt comfortable in her two-handed grip, a round already up by the spout. Her index finger in touch with the trigger guard, but not the trigger. Accident avoidance procedures ordained no contact with the trigger itself until you were ready to make your gun go bang. Not only that, police rules only sanctioned the right to fire as a warning or in self-defence. The house was still and empty of furniture. It smelled musty, though not damp. Damp was almost unknown in Nice, even in unoccupied buildings. The light from the street entering through the open doorway behind her created shadows that her imagination converted into hiding places for the man she had tailed there. Reflected in the glow were a pair of wall switches, the old-fashioned brass kind. She flicked them to no effect. She blew a wavewood strand of hair from her cheek. Come on out, she called, pitching her voice low, striving for an authoritative note, when in truth she was shit scared. If this guy was who she suspected, a violent enforcer for a local rackets boss wanted for two murders, he was bound to be armed. One of his victims had been a cop. Yeah, he was very wanted by the police forces of Nice. From above, at the head of the stairs, where it was as dark as a coal mine, a sensation of movement, as if the house had been holding its breath and was now releasing it in a controlled exhalation. As if her prey was on the move and the air was parting before him like the Red Sea before Moses. The speed of development since she tagged him in the bar to back to De La Tour, just off the square of the same name, had kept her from summoning assistance. Now, her independent mindedness shriveling before the threat of a showdown, she flicked the transmit switch of her walkie-talkie. Yeah, a drawl, half-yawn, probably Pascal, who was usually the duty officer Tuesday evenings. It's Brigitte, she announced in a whisper. What? Irritating now. Speak up, will you? Oh, fuck. To speak up was to alert the fugitive to her request for backup. A door hinge creaked. It was followed by the faintest of footfalls. Pascal, if it was him on the line, 
disconnected. He was an impatient little prick. Brigitte clipped the walkie-talkie back on her belt, shifted her hold on the gun. Her palms were sweaty, the elastic plastic grip plates slick beneath them. She wiped them one after the other on her jeans backside. Still her fingers stayed away from the trigger, only in self-defence. Inside her head the mantra drummed. With her back to the stained flowered wallpaper from a bygone era, she sidled towards the staircase, a pace at a time, soundless but for the bump of her heart. She paused, ear cocked. Again the stealthy tread, directly overhead now. God, she was scared. Her gun hand trembled. This was a wholly new experience for her, facing a known killer alone in an unfamiliar, badly lit building. It was madness. Get out! Her sense of self-preservation screamed at her. Get out and stay out until reinforcements arrive. This was not a movie where the heroine emerges from the shootout with a few bruises and her lipstick smudged. This was death lying in wait for her. The Grim Reaper's representative on Earth with a gun instead of a scythe. Even now, she might be in his sights. And let's see what the GDI is saying. I've got uh, Martin on narrator. Go straight to his first comment. I thought this had tension and good writing, nice observation, but perhaps the scene is a bit generic, he says. Analogy is a bit strange, says Hannah. Vagabond doesn't feel that different to me. Losing interest is only. I think it's a bit bit on the lukewarm side, I think, in general. Mm. Um, but there's all lots and lots of great comments. And I, I always say, especially to our, our writers, just, just freeze frame it now on YouTube and just read everything everyone is saying. It's like gold dust. Um, what did you think to, to that, um, Nick, please? Um, I, okay, so, I mean, well, I mean, Rogue Mail is one of my favorite um, uh, thrillers. Hmm. Um, absolutely brilliant um, book. So you should like Rogue Female even more. I was, I was hoping for, you know, for some interesting take on that. But I mean, I don't think that we've really got an interesting take. As far as I can see, this is really a very generic um, idea, not something that's different from anything that, that, that's gone before. Um, you know, and I'm not really sure that the, the blurb that we, we had makes sense. I mean, apart obviously from the plethora of names, mm. um, I was really wondering who was a threat. We have Bridget the cop, and then we have the kidnapping of the industrialist um, uh, boyfriend of uh, um, sister. Um, and then we have someone called Yves, who apparently is going to come and save, is it Bridget the cop? Um, I but I thought it was Bridget the cop yes. who save the, the others. Um, yes, it's, so, it's quite complicated. <laughs> It is, it is quite But complex. life is like that, though, isn't it? It really is. It's so complicated. Yes, but blurbs shouldn't be complex. No, um, uh, no. Blurbs should be, just give you enough to get a handle on where, why you might want to read the, read, read the story, not to overcomplicate mm. things. Um, just, you know, it's just a nudge to get you to get to that first page. That's all it, yeah. all it has to do. Yeah. Um, on to the writing itself, I would say, um, I think the first three or four paragraphs, I would just cut entirely all that stuff mm. about the gun and stuff. It, it's, you know, it was actually so much better to start with the paragraph that began, um, the house was um, sort of empty. Um, yeah. And that sense of sort of silence and, you know, sort of creeping around and you're not quite sure what your person's doing there yet. And then that's gradually revealed. Yeah. Um, and I think there was narration, there was a n narrative voice issue going on as well. You know, I think that when it was pure descriptive, you know, it, it kind of worked, um, but there was then, you know, the 
those the kind of ah oh, fuck um, mm. uh, and, the, and the yeah you know and there was, there was kind of you know the, the narrator's voice was coming in um, yeah. when actually we should just have let Bridget do it so it left me confused I was neither in a first person narration nor an om- omniscient one either or was it someone mm. actually telling me the story um, yeah. I think also, you know, putting in the, the movie analogy, you know, this wasn't a movie like that. It's it just, it, it's kind of a little bit cheap and it takes you out of that moment. I mean, we need to be there. This is yeah. a deadly moment in a quiet house. We need, we cannot have anything, any comment, anything that takes us away from the immediacy of that. And we've just lost, we've just lost tension. Yeah. Uh, incisive analysis. I always try to advocate for the author, but I cannot disagree. Let's see what the uh, genie I are saying at the moment. Uh, writing's fine, content going on a bit, says Hannah. Suddenly feels she isn't as confident as she felt at the start, Annie. Terry says a scene we've seen many times. Eva doesn't really attract my attention. And then lots and lots of um, discussion about the fact that we we have our own Lex Black in the genius room and an enormous potential for puns on that. What did you think, Ed? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm also a huge fan of that Jeffrey Household book. So I was really uh, rogue male. I just, yeah, mm. that was where I was completely. Yeah. Uh, the blurb, yeah, same, same thing. Um, just way too many names, too much, not one thing or the other. Um, uh, let me, uh, th- maybe this is a bit idiosyncratic as a sort of comment on the craft, uh, craft and writing, but mm. one thing I really struggle with is when people are writing in a different language um, to the language spoken, I'm, I, I'm also almost bilingual in French, and mm. I could not imagine what the French was that was being translated. I think it's a mistake when people set up that this is a French, these are French people speaking, then it ought to, don't then speak in colloquial English. It was a bit hello, hello, it's, was it? Well, yeah, more, but not even that. It was just like, well, what would they be saying? I mean, All right. Sort of, you know, yes. There are enough French speakers around. I mean, yeah. You see this. You see this in World War Two books where Germans yes. are speaking and they they say yeah. English things. It's like uh-huh. no, no, no. You've just blown it for me. I want this. Uh-huh. I, you know, these people are French, and I. I so far, nothing. I mean, I, I thought the the protagonist needed to be stronger, um, uh, and yeah, and so that that really dinged a lot of the bang for me. I mean, I just mm-hmm. I just don't see who's going to buy this because I don't think the protagonist. Yeah, there's. I just don't don't see it. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. Well, we all like the title at least. Let's see what the numbers are looking like. Forty-one, Lex. Forty-one. Sorry about that. Um, but we are. Uh, no, Gene seemed like your craft, actually. Yeah. Blurb. Not. I think the blurb probably is, was the single element that let you down the, the worst in terms of the numbers. But even so, hopefully it's been a good experience for you and um, useful. Now, you raised a point. <clears throat> Excuse me, Lex. You, you raised a point. I want to go straight to uh, Nicholas Chiefman. Lex says, um, I don't write formulaic stuff. That seems to be what's wanted these days. True or false? Um, true and false. All right. <laughs> um, I, you know, pe- people will always say there's a market, you know, and, you know, the market demands, you know, that you've got to do this, or, um, uh, you know. Um, uh, but the thing is that, I mean, I- I've never had a call from the market. You know, the market no, right. has never rang me and has said, you know, we want more yeah. of this. Um, yeah. And, you know, the really big successes in publishing have always come 
from defiantly left field. You know, show mm. me a trend-setting bestseller and I'll show you a book that was rejected by every publisher in town and was finally Absolutely. bought for £3,000 or something Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And there's a cost, you know, to following the market and to writing, you know, to, to publishing only, you know, for the market is that once mm. the market is established, you know, once you're writing, you know, trying to get in, you know, to the Harry Potter market or the Fifty Shades of Grey market, the price of acquisition has gone up massively. And mm. the potential returns have just gone down, and so it gets riskier and riskier. So, for if you're a big publisher, um, uh, if you're a Penguin Random House, and you've got you know massive budgets and a huge marketing and sales team, um, you probably can afford to play that game because of all the thousands of identikit books are out there. You've got the might to be able to say our identikit book is the most visible of all of them, and people will buy it. Yeah. For anyone smaller than that. Um, uh, you're probably better off actually trying to find the interesting things um, out there that are not like everything else um, and uh, and publishing those. Yeah, yeah. That's a very, very interesting answer. In-depth answer. Hopefully, Lex, at the very least, you've had a great answer to that um, straight from one of the uh, most um, expert publishers in the business. I want to ask you about the acquisition process. How does it work? Um, okay, so... I mean, traditionally, um, uh, what? Yes, I mean this is, this is an interesting one actually, because mm. I mean, uh, as as you know, most most publishers um, get most of their titles um, from literary agents, and so a literary agent will take on a client um, and uh, will then think of the editors in town, you know, who would like this book, and will send it to them with a recommendation. The editor will read it if they like it. Um, uh, they will probably then say, oh, I'm taking it to some of my colleagues. If the colleagues then like it, they'll say that, oh, I'm taking it to the publishing meeting, um, uh, which is the big showdown between editorial and um, sales and marketing. It's the five resources. Yeah. Um, mm. And if the publishing meeting judges that the book has merit and commercial potential, they will put a number on it for how much it's worth in terms of an advance. And then the editor will communicate that back to the agent. Um, and the agent will go, oh, it's interesting you should say that, because actually I've got 28 other offers from every other right. publisher in exactly. town, and you're at the bottom of the queue. Best offers by the end of this afternoon, please. And you get into an auction situation. Um, uh, some publishers um, uh, will also accept um, uh, submissions directly. Um, and will then take on their um, uh, authors from uh, from 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 that pool. Hmm. I mean, interesting. A lot of them would actually also recommend their authors did get agents at the point of acquisition anyway, because it hmm. it just helps. Um, yeah. uh, there's nothing worse than if you're trying to do a publishing deal um, uh, of someone saying that they've got a lawyer who's going to represent uh, yeah. them rather than an agent. Because the industry works along slightly strange, you know, but. Yeah. You know, very you know sim simplistic templates, uh, and yeah. there's nothing for making a deal um, less likely to happen than actually getting a, a, a legal firm involved in it. it would yeah, especially if they haven't seen a publishing years. contract before. Oh my yep. god! Yeah. Uh, what, what are the hot genres at the moment uh, that you're noticing? Um, historical adventures doing really well for us. I've been banging the drum for it for about a decade, so it had to come back into fashion yeah. at some point. Um, yeah. But it's taken off internationally. I mean, that's that that's the big thing um, uh, for us. Um, upmarket science fiction. Um, uh, it's done very well for Head of Zeus. 
Um, that's a that's a good a, a good sort of international genre f- for us to be in. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are saying that horror's coming back in, you know, as a genre, um, or it may just be Halloween, so we're all dusting down the same articles again. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I really, you know, would like to see horror come back um, uh, in a big way. Um, mm. Uh, question mm. from from Hannah. Yes, um, uh, we do. We we we, we publish in, in six main areas, um, and we're, we're trying to sort of focus on the area, these areas. So we've we're focusing on science fiction, in particularly you know sort of hard science fiction and you know and original fantasy. Uh, we're concentrating on historical um, adventure. Uh, uh, we're concentrating on um, sagas, which is really sort of a softer historical fiction, usually with a female focus. Um, and we do a bit of romance um, as well, you know. So those are th- th- those are really, you know, our, our, our main mm. genre genre areas. I also have a line in, in international thriller writing, which I think is, uh, you know, has mm. not been in fashion, you know, for a couple of years. Yeah. And as you might have guessed from what I was saying previously, is you know, I'm I'm not trying to compete with the really big guys. Yeah. Um, uh, You're I'm trying to be one step ahead. Trying to look for the well, I mean, where they're not. Yeah, because you know they are very, yeah. very, very big, um, yeah. and cycles and things do come round. Um, yeah. So what's not fashionable today will be fashionable again tomorrow. Yeah, but there is a lot of Me Too publishing, isn't there? I mean, if you know, if the Harry Potter thing does happen, and then suddenly overnight, almost uh, every publisher has got their own Harry Potter lookalike. Do you, is that something that Head of Zeus does as well? Um. Well, I mean, yes. I mean, we, you know, to to, to some extent, you know, we we. You know, we, we do follow trends. Um, other publishers, you know, have noticed that historical, you know, adventure, you know, is, is working. We just would hope to be slightly in front of them. Um, yeah, and yeah. by and large, you know, we'd like much prefer to be setting, tr- you know, trends um, rather than jumping on bandwagons. Yeah, fantastic. That's it's just um, for a start. It's it's it, it's just cheaper, and the and, yeah. the, and the, the the possible rewards are much greater. And it's more exciting, isn't it? Actually, it's, it's much more exciting. Yeah. It's brilliant. Pro- Thank you very much. for the three-body problem, by the way. I mean, just my God, that was you. you that's one of yours, right? I mean, in the UK, and that's just in the UK. Yeah, mm. yeah. No, I mean, and that was that. That was really, you know, born from you know our, our, our recognition that you know science fiction was a genre that had been in the, in the doldrums, you know, for, for for twenty or thirty years, possibly longer. All the oxygen was taken out of that area by Game of Thrones and, and the massive growth of fantasy. Yeah. Um, and we didn't plan to do any um, science fiction um, publishing when we started the company, even though mm. three of the five founders were massive science fiction aficionados, myself included. And we eventually published a book um, by a Canadian author um, called Peter Watts. Um, uh, and it was a science fiction book of such unparalleled complexity um, uh, that. Uh, I didn't understand what was going on half the time, but my God, it was a fantastic ride that puts bubbles in my brain. So we had to publish it. And, okay, um, we've, I've just we, got a question uh, from YouTube here yeah. for you, uh, Nicholas. Who is publishing Cli-Fi Echo Fiction these days? That's a good question. Uh, quite a few people. I mean, there uh-huh. are quite, uh, the, you know, in science fiction, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big thing. Um, uh, you know, quite a lot of three-body actually deals with um, deals with ecology. Oh, yeah. um, 
There's also a, a, a very good novel um, uh, that we published called Waste Tide um, by another Chinese science fiction author. Um, oh, uh, on, my, on my bookshelf, yeah, great, amazing. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Got a recommendation from Ed. And um, uh, you know there are quite a few eco thrillers out there, um, which I've which I've read over the years. It's obviously it's going to be a big growth um, there we go. market as we become more and more excited by it. You heard it first here on Pop of Submissions. It's going to be a big market. Nicholas Cheatham, CEO, head of Zeus. Thank you very much. We have. We've got to the exciting point now. This is our last submission of the month. We know who the monthly winner is so far. It could all change on a heartbeat after submission number five, which is coming up. Psychological thriller. It's from Gary. It's called The Buckled Door. And this is Gary's blurb. This is a question of nature or nurture, as the lives of two estranged siblings, both psychopaths, run parallel until merging disastrously on the horizon. The Buckle Door is a dark and sometimes peculiar insight into the world of insanity. Sitting comfortably alongside crime thrillers or psychological suspense thrillers, it has fast-flying short chapters that keep the reader engaged throughout. That's what we like. We like reader engagement, not disengagement. Good. Excellent. I like those books. Uh-huh. Now, this is over the, over the years, says Gary. This is about Gary. I've written numerous short stories put to music, songwriter. But my passion is to write novels. For the last 10 years, I've worked as head pastry chef. Arnold Wesker. Think, instantly think of Arnold Wesker. That's the only other author I know of who was a pastry, pastry chef. Uh, and although my career has been very successful, I'm desperate to replicate that success as an author. I've recently started the first draft of my second book, Mr. Fingers and His Magical Orchestra. I love it. A sequel to The Buckle Door. Annie loves your title. I think we're going to love even more this reading from Barbara. The Buckled Door, written by Gary Strutt, read by Barbara. If you can see yourself accurately within the conformities of social behaviour, then you're definitely not insane. Present day, what day is it today? What day is it today? No, it's not a question. It's a reality check. And although I know the answer, I need to hear it for my own peace of mind. It's Friday. My name is Ben Smead. And today is my birthday. Again, I've woken in a cold sweat with a banging headache and a mouth that tastes like I've been snogging a donkey's arse. The nightmare that invades my sleep generates images that waft around like leaves on a windy day. The harsh morning light may offer a respite, but it doesn't deliver any hope, and I know that the nightmare will return soon enough. Maybe not tonight, but definitely soon enough. Focus, I whispered to myself. I tried to push the dread to the back of my mind, but it's not easy. Nothing can hurt you in a prison cell. I used a bedpost as an anchor point to swing my legs over to the floor and stand uneasily. The headache is making me dizzy as I stagger slowly to the sink in an attempt to wash it out of my ears. At least the reflection in the mirror is someone I recognise. Returning to my bed, I fold the blankets into a tidy bundle as I do every morning. Routine, routine, routine. The clock ticks. I follow the same pattern. Tick, tock. It's clockwork. And it's Friday. I nod at the thought of being 33 years old. It's just a number. The nod continues, this time with more vigour. Today is Friday. 
From my bed, I look out through the small barred windows at an ever-changing sky. Storm clouds gather on the horizon, and I wonder if it's just another protest against the sun or an all-out rebellion. I hope it isn't heading in this direction. I close my eyes. Looks like we're in for a crappy day. It's seven o'clock, and a hatch on my cell door slides open as a voice calls through the gap. Ben Smead! Uh-oh. I don't bother looking up. The hatch closes as the door is unlocked, prompting the voice to travel to the next cell. A moment later, a double knock echoes out as my door inches open and the face of Terry Eccles appears in the gap. Hey dude, happy birthday! Terry lives the way he looks. He's friendly, full of energy and has a swagger that most find amusing. He squeezes his head further into the room. Whoa man, you look like shit! I ignore him by nodding at the ceiling. Fuck that man. Take the pills. I do. Don't worry, I reply, waving away Thomas's concern. I'm dealing with it. Whatever, dude. Hey, have you heard about Johnny Bennett? Who's Johnny Bennett? Terry shakes his head in disbelief. He shares a cell with Billy Cook. Billy's the dude who started the riot in the dining hall last month. I don't know him either. Shit, man, you gotta get out more. I will. Terry's head disappears back through the door. What about Johnny Bennett? I shout after him. No time. Terry pokes his head back into the room. Just be at the chapel by eleven. Zebedee's gonna get it. Zebedee, or Father Sebastian, is a Catholic priest who performs weekly sermons in the prison chapel. He's an animated man, small in stature, with massive biblical balls, and large testicles are advisable if you want to preach religion to a bunch of crazies. So naturally, I'm not keen to see anything happen to the priest, but there's little I can do. Anyhow, the approaching storm serves as a reminder that I have my own demons to deal with. Oh, don't we all? My goodness me. Um, too many names as a vagabond, not enough engaging story yet. John likes Snoggy and Ass's ass. Snoggy and Ass's ass. Interesting. Can't shake the visual. I don't think I want to. Let's see what um, Nick made of that. First reactions, please, Nick. Um, uh, I think most intriguing title um, uh, of uh, of the uh, of the show so far, and obviously of the show entirely, yeah. in, entirely. Yes, yeah. uh, this is our yeah. last submission, um, and I liked the blurb. Although it's not a traditional blurb, um, mm. it tells you more about the feeling of the story than the actual story itself. But you know, I kind of you know, I, I, I liked its style. Mm. Um, and I thought that actually the, from the first couple of paragraphs, you know, that I might actually end up with something here that was actually sort of quite stylish. Hmm. Um, but I think that um, I think that we didn't. I, I think there was yeah. obviously a, a great trick being missed um, with the donkey's ass. Um, uh, how much more verbally <laughs> inventive to actually have gone with the ass's ass? Yes. Um, yes. You know, and there is something about, you know, sort of novels that begin, you know, with waking up. Uh, I know. Uh, you I know, know. And it's same yeah. with dreams, isn't it? And hangovers yeah. and birthdays. And we've got two of that here. Um, so um, it didn't really ring true to me. You know, mm. it was a bit too conventional. The stylistic, you know, fireworks that I was perhaps expecting, you know, yeah. um, didn't come through. And, you know, was it authentic? I, I don't know. Was it a prison or was it a, um, you know, just a normal prison? Or was it, as the bunch of crazies suggest, yeah. actually, a, a, a psychiatric institution? Yeah. Um, it wasn't quite strange enough, was it, actually? Or strange ways enough, perhaps. It wasn't quite strange enough for yeah. me. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Let's see what uh, final comments are from the chat room. Andy says, like that, best of the day for me, good title. Needs a stronger sense of where the story might go, says Barbara. And Lex has been at his usual lexographical uh, manoeuvres. Uh, dibs on massive biblical balls, he says, as a band name. What a good idea. What do you think, Ed? Um, yeah, so I really like the title. Oh, sorry. Um, I it kind of, to be honest, lost me a bit after that. I thought I, uh, the blurb, um, the blurb sort of, I mean, I don't, I don't really see blurbs like that very much as blurbs. I mean, it's sort of, it was almost like a, 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 a you know, an old fashioned movie, movie trailer or something. Yes. Um, yeah, and then yeah. the craft again, it sort of, there were a couple of things about it. I couldn't understand. If you're in prison, why does it really matter if it's raining? I mean, I, I sort of, like, I didn't understand. There, were, there, were, sort of, there mm. were too many different things going on. There was a waking up, there was a birthday, it was raining. There were people poking mm. their heads in the door. How do you even poke your head through? If, is this a, I, I was, was confused open prison, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah, a good it point. Weird. It's a good point. I mean, there just too many different things going on. And, um, you know, I mean, also too many, too many things you're not supposed to do, which is, you know, you don't begin with the weather, you don't begin with waking yeah. up, you don't begin with the, I mean, so it, it unfortunately, I mean, and, and God knows we all do it, but I, I think there were a couple of typos as well, which were slightly distracting. So, um, I mean, that's yeah. not, that's not, a, not an issue really, but somehow when you've got all the other things going on, it doesn't help. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm sorry, it didn't really grab me. That's all right. You've got to tell the truth, and you certainly do. You like the title, and that's good. Let's look at the numbers on yeah, that. I thought that was a great title, actually. Yes, absolutely. Junior Zoom likes the title. Not mad on the blurb. Croft, not bad. Commercial potential. About the same as everybody acted on that. So, Gary, you got a, a, a solid 53 on that, which means, I think... Let's, let's, have, let's look at the numbers now, to be absolutely certain, shall we? Yeah. It does. It means actually we do have a clear winner of the show, and it is it is you. Well done, Clive. Former soldier Will Gray, indeed. You've won this edition of pop-up submissions, but it does not affect this week's winner. Does not affect the overall monthly winner who I'm delighted to announce is Andrew <laughs> Harry Lowe and a Harry Staircase what a title what a title congratulations Andrew and you were on last week's show and you did get some nice words from the doyen of uh, children's publishing here in the UK uh, Julia Eccleshire she said some nice things about that and we all thought it was great too a well deserved monthly winner um, now I want to say thank you so much to Ed who made his debut appearance on pop-ups hopefully he is not too psychologically traumatised to make another one soon and of course uh, of course Nicholas Cheatham CEO head of Zeus fabulous publishing company how interesting for, for us to have Nick on this show and to really hear it direct from the expert what actually goes on guys we've had a great show thank you so much Kate and Emily and Rachel and our narrators and all the writers who send us our submissions and we'll see you again same time next Sunday oh, the world's a stage. Welcome to the show. I glance at you.
you, you smile at me like we're all alone. We 